Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Coming to you live from the great state of Indiana. Visiting one of our affiliates out here. Getting to know the country. Getting to know the folks a little bit better. Buck takes America, you know, just bouncing around as I can. I was in Georgia, but a few weeks ago, I'm in Indiana now. I'll be in California in a couple of weeks. Like to make my way down to Austin, Texas a few weeks after that. Oh, I've got a busy schedule. We've got a lot to talk about today. Thank you very much for uh, joining. Thank you for being here. Uh, Later on in the show, I will discuss with you a slander about my favorite beverage, Coffee. Well, coffee and tequila. I'm not sure which one is number one, but probably coffee because I drink it a lot more. A slander that is making its way around the science or so-called scientific community. We'll also discuss uh, some of the latest gun control measures. FBI, former, I should say, FBI official McCabe is uh, in the headlines once again. I will note that everything that I've told you would happen with McCabe is happening with McCabe. He's so, it's just so aggrieved, but he's also somehow managing to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars with his GoFundMe account for his legal defense. Uh, We will discuss that to be sure. Also, a standoff on the Israel-Gaza border right now that's already resulted in about a dozen people killed, hundreds injured, a mass protest movement that is trying to just effectively walk across the Security fence, the border in Israel. Perhaps a time to note that fences, walls, they do work. Otherwise, this protest movement of thousands of people would just walk into Israel. Uh, so we will get into that as well in just a few minutes. But first, I I want to spend some time with you today talking about an issue that, that is uh, particularly troubling to me because I'm I make a living sharing my thoughts with you i write i do tv but my my first love in this business as you all know who have been with me for a while is radio i love radio and in radio in particular because you're going extemporaneously i'm always i always think it's so sweet when people say you know where who writes all your notes or where do you get all this like well it just kind of happens there's no there's not really notes and certainly no one's scripting anything out But that means that I'm going to occasionally stumble on words. I might say something that isn't really exactly what I was trying to say, but that's part of the of the beauty and the excitement of live radio. But I would always like to think, and this isn't just about me and this show, but on any show that people that are discussing ideas and that are operating from a place of trying to tackle what matters should get some leeway in what they are able to say without fear of uh, reprisal, without fear of perhaps even losing their job. And this is now an issue that 
we can't ignore because the boycott machinery is once again in in full swing. Uh, Laura Ingram over at Fox News is a is a big news story right now, not for having the I think the fourth highest rated show on cable news or maybe on cable, actually, pardon me, but because sponsors are pulling out from her show. Not all of them, but about a dozen at last count. Why, you might ask? Well, this is something that I mentioned to you, I think, on yesterday's show. David Hogg, who is a an absolutely a public figure at this point, is making political pronouncements as if from on high, as if from a place of great knowledge and wisdom, and is being celebrated by the media in a way that should be embarrassing for those who call themselves journalists. It's one thing to show respect to somebody on your show. It's another thing to fanboy or fangirl when you have a guest on your show. And, oh, you want to kind of know what I'm talking about here? This is Allison Camerata over at CNN when she has David Hogg on her show. This is the kind of stuff she says. Play it. I am stunned that four colleges rejected you. What kind of dumbass colleges don't want you? I mean, you've taken the country by storm. How do you explain this? Did they reject you before the Parkland massacre? Or or how do you explain this? They rejected me about, let me think, about two weeks ago, most of them. It was uh, UCLA and UCSD. I... The way I explain it is we have a heavily impacted university system in, in America, and I think there's a lot of really good candidates that don't get into college, and I think it goes to show that regardless of whether or not you get into college, you can still change the world. The hardest part is just believing that you can and continuing that effort to change the world because you eventually will. So before I get back into the discussion about boycotts here, which are corrosive and destructive and should, should really only be used as a last resort, and before I get to that, how is it that this young man's college acceptances or, in this case, uh, uh, rejections is a national news story? Oh, that's right, because he went on uh, an interview, I forget where, with whom, and was bemoaning that he had not gotten into these schools. And and the implication is that because he was rejected after he became a national figure, which he is right now, right? The guy's got hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers. He's calling people uh, blood-soaked murderers and child murderers on a regular basis, not in any way challenged by many of the media outlets that put him on TV. And now you see what they're what they're really hoping for is that he becomes essentially radioactive for anyone to try and tangle with. If you say anything to him that is uh, that is overly critical, or if you in the judgment of the left and the the Democrat media that has created this situation. If you go a little too far, you might have all your sponsors flee. You might be in a situation where there's a form of uh, economic, economic warfare, if you will, being waged against you as a, as an individual. I, Allison Cameron, what kind of, what kind of dumbass college, what kind of dumbass college would not take you? She doesn't, I mean, you know, do we really have to go there? I have friends who worked at, a, a couple of close friends of mine worked at admissions committees of elite colleges for a number of years. Is she going to ask him what his, what his SAT scores are? I mean, oh, the college is supposed to care that 
The media has elevated him into being a, a figure for their own purposes in the national discussion about gun control. She has no idea what this guy's record is. But yet again, here we are. I'm talking about it. Why am I talking about it? Because CNN's talking about it. Why is CNN talking about it? Because this is a tactic. This is a tool. This has been the plan all along. They don't discuss gun control in good faith. They're not talking about this because they think it's going to save lives. This is just political warfare through culture warfare through the lens of kids. That's it. It's not going to be sweeping policy changes uh, changes that result from this. This is not going to uh, shed new light on the gun control discussion. And I would note, and it's very important, I don't want you to forget about this, that in the aftermath of the Parkland shooting, there were a lot of Republicans who were saying, you know what, we actually should, we should do something here. We should take some kind of an action. And now you've got uh, the people banning bump stocks. But there was a, a willingness to approach this issue from good faith. Have the people at the forefront of that effort to have a good faith discussion with the, uh, you know, what, never again or March for Our Lives movement, whatever they're going to call themselves. Have they been rewarded for that? No, they've actually been shunned and attacked and denigrated very publicly. Was Marco Rubio treated with more respect or less for showing up at that town hall, that sham, that televised show trial put on by CNN? Oh, that's right. We all know. But this is a particularly outrageous situation. You have the national media being wildly hypocritical about David Hogg and some of the other uh, survivors, Gonzalez, and those are the only ones whose names that I know off the top of my head, uh, Emma Gonzalez, uh, they call for a complete blackout of any criticism of them. If you criticize these people who are or trying to push a national policy discussion, you could lose your sponsor, you could lose your livelihood, lose your job, lose your reputation. Kyle Kashuv, though, on the other side, because he is just pushing what he believes to be sensible responses to what happened in, in Parkland. He get he can get trashed by journalists. There's no consequences. What is it? Kurt Eichenwald from Vanity Fair. You can go check this out if you want. This is one of the reasons why I would like a lot of you to start getting on Twitter, because you'll see this is Twitter is now how journalists yell at each other, which can sometimes be actually quite amusing, but it is also illuminating for what's really going on in the media discussion. Do you think that there's any consequences for people who are public figures with large platforms who say nasty things to, and I mean actually nasty things, not someone, quote, whining about their college rejections, which but that is all that Laura Ingram got in trouble for. And she apologized very, very graciously. It was a very gracious apology. I read it to you on air. And she has sponsors, including... Office Depot, Jenny Craig, Hulu, Nutrish, TripAdvisor, Expedia, Wayfair, Nestle, and Johnson & Johnson pulling ads from the show. If that's transgressing beyond, and, and by the way, beyond the realm of what an apology can make up for, any one of us could be gone at any point in time. And don't think this doesn't affect you. If this is now the new standard for conduct for media figures it's just a matter of time before it filters down to your standard office workplace it's just a matter of time before all of a sudden anyone who said something that falls afoul of this political correct politically correct dogma could be fired 
Oh, you've been, we don't want anyone here who's insensitive to the survivors of the Parkland massacre. First of all, this is one person who's been very, not just public about this, and I've said it here on the show, and I I back up what I've said about this 100%. What he's saying is, is nasty and destructive and wrong. And that the media gives him a pass is just yet another data point for why we can't trust them, why they're dishonest, why they're not journalists. I mean, CNN is an embarrassment on this issue, an embarrassment. You'll notice they don't put any of their anchors or their pundits one-on-one against any of our best on this issue. They won't do it because they will get, rhetorically speaking, sliced and diced, and they know it. So they hide or they hide behind victims which is now the preferred strategy. The left weaponizes boycotts so much more frequently than you will ever see on the right. The left boycotts. It's just, and th- I know this from talking to people who are just dealing with it on the, on the corporate side, on the sponsor side. You know, if you upset the left, you could lose your sponsors. You could be, they call it deplatforming now. You could say anything you want about the right, though. This is still where the media has, unfortunately, too much power. This is where we have to break this down. And this is also, you got to show where you got to show where your heart is and, and what counts for you. You pay attention to who these sponsors are. Speak up. Don't think for a second that, you know, your emails, your uh, Facebook messages, your support of people that are telling the truth of shows that are doing the right thing. Don't think that it doesn't matter. It's all that matters in this environment. Because if you don't stand up for the shows that you believe in, the people that are telling the truth and what is right in public discourse, it's just going to become dominated by the very progressives who are doing exactly what we see happening here to Laura Ingram. You know, this is uh, we, we go through this time and again and, you know, eventually it passes. But it's also I, I don't think it's just companies that are cowardly. I don't think it's just companies that are scared. I think that there's a lot of ideological sympathy from some of the corporations that decide they're going to go along with this. That they don't want to stand for free speech. They don't want to stand for open discourse. They want to punish wrong think in a very Orwellian sense. And this, I will note, has been the plan all along with using victims of Parkland to be the spokespersons for an anti-gun movement. They were just waiting for a prominent enough person, Laura Ingram fits the bill, a prominent enough figure on the right to come along. And then, like I say, it's all about mobilizing. They're mobilized and now they're weaponized. And now they're tearing down someone and trying to put a real dent in in her career. I mean, Laura's going to be fine, I'm sure. But it's distressing to see this and that people who make a living in the media don't understand what's going on here or too too much a bunch of wimps to speak out. Is, is just utterly disgraceful. All right, 844-900-2825. John, hit me with some action movie quote. Action. Get to the chopper! Movie. People keep asking if I'm back, and I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Quote. You have the right to be dead. Fridays. Action ah! movie quote Fridays. I know Kung Fu. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. We talk about whatever you want. Live from Indiana, the Buck Sexton Show continues right after the break.
Lives Matter movement has been addressing this topic since the murder of Trayvon Martin in 2012. Yet we have never seen this kind of support for our cause, and we surely do not feel that the lives or voices of minorities are valued as much as those of our white counterparts. I am here today with my classmates because we have been sorely underrepresented and in some cases misrepresented. We are proud to say that we're from Douglas. We are proud to say that those who are in the front are doing a great job, but we also, as you can see, have so much to say. Ah, the the racial component of this. So that was more of the students who are are constantly on TV now. This is the political movement, and and the left loves it because if you criticize them, you know maybe maybe you get fired, maybe you lose your sponsors, maybe they shut down. Your, let me also say the thing about boycotts is that companies that do it, they're usually just being reactionary. It doesn't last. You know, n- nobody nobody cares what so and so said in a vast majority of cases one time. If they like the product, it doesn't really matter, right? It's just a pressure tactic that works if you can get people to panic. And that's where the media comes in. They create the echo chamber effect. Oh, my gosh. People, the whole country has turned. No, the whole country has not turned on anybody because of anything that has happened in the last week or two, right? The country is very politically polarized, the most obvious statement on the planet. Uh, but you'll notice that all these other progressive issues get folded into the discussion, too. They were just talking about. Uh, racial inequities when talking about violence. And I'm like, well, school shootings are are not about racial inequity. School shootings are just about protecting kids who are in school. Meaning that if you're in the school, my understanding is in, in this case, for example, in Parkland, the shooter here was just trying to kill as many innocent people as possible. So the, 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 to, to bring a racial angle into it, is to just use the platform that these kids have now to, to, to talk about other issues that affect progressives. So what I'm trying to say is just give it time and you're going to hear some of the Parkland students uh, pushing for name a social justice issue. You know, we're going to have the Parkland students by the time the midterms come around on TV talking to us about the need for amnesty for illegal immigrants. And if you criticize them for not knowing what they're talking about, you're such a monster. They're just children. That's the game the left's going to play. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. They were changing the second well, he's saying repeal the Yeah, repeal it. Right in, right in. You think so? It's poorly written. Can't we just... Sure. So you'd like to just rewrite well, they mean it. by militia. Right. You know who saw the second number? It was southern senators. So they could ward wow. off slaves. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. Is that true? Read the history. I don't have time right now. Can you just give me a brief background? No, Started eventually, they won in other areas, but southern senators started it so they could repel slave uprisings. Oh, okay. So, uh, Larry King, there with a uh, complete historical fallacy, uh, uh, I- ignorant of the history, of the facts, and uh, caller, your next, your next thought, please. Unbelievable. It's it's uh, some of the people in media. I gotta say, I I'm a, <laughs> I'm astonished they had the careers that they did. They they have no idea how lucky they are. 
Um, and I, I got to put Larry King in that category. Poorly, poorly written. The Second Amendment's poorly written. What do they, what do they what do they mean by militia? I don't. I, I think the framers, Larry. I I think the framers probably had a better sense of what they're trying to say than than you do. I'm just just put that. Bring me back. Kick that other guy off CNN. They can't do it without me. Oh boy. Oh no. This this makes this is a bummer. All right. All right. All right. This is a bummer. Matthew McConaughey was uh, out in Austin, the Austin March for Our Lives, supporting gun control. <sighs> you know, I don't know the guy. I heard he's nice, actually, from like fifth hand, you know, six six degrees of Buck Sexton or whatever, instead of six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Like, I know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows him. He's supposed to be a nice dude. Gun control in Austin. It's a, you know, he's a good actor. It's a shame. The first season of True Detective is is incredible, I think. I really... The second season was pure trash, and he wasn't in it, so who cares? Uh, but uh, the first season was really, really good. But yeah, Matthew McConaughey in Austin for gun control. Uh, Austin, I'm... Don't worry, Austin. I'll be on the way down there soon. I'm going to come help out. Come save, save the day. Uh, we got a lot of calls up because it's Friday, so let's get into it. Uh, Dean in Boston. What's up, Dean? Brother Buck, how you doing today? I'm all right, man. Thank you for your call. So let's just go down this little rabbit hole where these kids that are being uh, led by the progressives, and let's just take all the gun, every gun, every gun in the country. So we've solved that problem that they can so easily grasp the concept of. And so to protect ourselves, because we haven't dealt with the underlying issue of mental health or, or anybody who's a criminal element who will get a gun illegally. So let's add more police. You can't do that because the police are bad. The police are brutal and they, they go against civil rights and they target minorities. So where, where do we go from there? And then we got to get rid of the NRA because the NRA, oh, wait a minute, the NRA is all single members of society that pay to be members whether you own a gun or not. They just believe in protecting our rights. I guarantee these kids, not one of them, understands the complexity of this whole issue. It's just guns bad, NRA bad. Guns, is that, am I saying it right? Guns bad, NRA bad? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's I think, I think you're actually, that, that's a perfect that sign. That's a perfect sign for the uh, March for Our Lives. I, I saw signs very similar to that when I went and saw them. I saw what they were writing. They don't have the capacity to understand that it's a right, a God-given right, to protect yourself. And so they just look at it as it's the gun. The gun has to be the issue. Well, nothing they've talked about has ever dealt with is there a mental health issue. A guy goes out and he stabs people. He drives down a sidewalk with his car. Still the same issue, mental health issue. But they didn't use a gun. Should we ban automobiles? Let's get rid of all the sidewalks. <laughs> yeah, the, the the policy prescriptions though aren't really the point. That's what I keep trying to come back to and make sure everyone's everyone's seeing why, why I view it that way. This is just about the culture war and about political power. It's really not about guns are just the prison through which this fight is had. Uh, meaning, I mean, gun control. I mean, is the is the prison through which this fight happens. But it's it's not about actually changing gun control as a prime that's not the primary motivation behind this it's mobilization it's getting the left together it's it's donations it's media coverage it's the narrative let I me mean, look at how important the narrative on russia has been to the media for the last year about trump despite 
all of the evidence that they've been running around just talking crazy talk on it, right? They're on a mission, uh, and they're not going to find out anything about Russia in the end, right? So it's really not about Russia. It's about bringing Trump down. This is also part of the anti-Trump resistance, this movement of, of gun control. Thanks for calling in, Dean, from Boston, my friend. Always good to have you on the show. Um, yeah, it's... By the way, I, I just want to put this out there as a thought experiment. So the Parkland, uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School has obviously at least four. I don't know if it had a primary school as well. has at least four different grade levels in it, you know, ninth through 12th grade, standard U.S. high school. So some of the people that are on TV are seniors uh, who are 17 or 18. And so at 18, they're adults. I think Hogg is 17, but I don't really know. At some point, is is the person... Are you able to discount their opinion because they're actually too young? I mean, I really want to know. I, I want to know if if they had a, what are you, if you're a freshman in high school, you're 15? If there's a 15-year-old who has really strong opinions on gun control, is CNN going to give that 50? And and was a student at the school, maybe wasn't you know nearby when this the school is very large, a few thousand students. But do we have to listen to 15-year-olds talk about it too? I, I, and I really mean, I, I just want to know where the line is. Because there are there are shootings that happen at schools where there are there are primary schools. So we'll CNN put thirteen year olds on TV to tell us about the Second Amendment and the Constitution and constitutional rights. You see, there is a point at which we can, I think, all agree it's irresponsible and exploitative. So now it's just a question of figuring out well, where is that line. And I think anybody with any sense and any any basic decency understands that CNN. And MSNBC and the rest crossed it a long time ago by not just giving these kids a platform, but giving them a platform specifically to attack the political enemies of those networks, to attack the political opposition, and to do so for because of the perceived invulnerability of those students on the public stage because of exactly what's going on with what you could call the Ingram effect right now, right? They're, they're going to go after people. Um, so this, look... This is not going away anytime soon. All right, we've got uh, more calls coming in. Casey in North Carolina. Hey, Casey. Afternoon. How are you? I'm good, sir. Thank you for your call. I'm. I seem to remember a story about uh, the poster children for this, uh, the Parkland School Ca- shooting. Casey, Casey, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get you back, my friend. It sounds like you're doing the a, a lunar landing right now, and I, I can't really hear you, and certainly nobody else will be able to. So, guys, if we get a better connection with Casey. Let's bring him back. But it's a little, one small step for man. It's a little bit like that, except that was way too clear. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Justin in Iowa. I'm in Indiana. That's not far away. What's up, Justin? Hey, Buck. Love your show. I'm an avid podcast listener, and I finally had the chance to get to call you so thank you talking to you i have an action movie quote for it for you i will okay. give you a hint it is a hbo television movie and it's set in world war ii well hold, hold on hold on a second just i'll say you really think i need hints my friend do you walk into the master's dojo and say that you're going to give him the weak wooden board to to smash no but go ahead go ahead man i wish i brought my watercolors Man, I wish I brought my water. What? My watercolors. As in painting? This is an action this is an action movie quote? Sounds like a Bob Ross episode. It's it's an action movie. 
All right, hit the buzzer. He's got me, apparently. Apparently. We'll see. I'm, I, don't, I might throw a flag on this. What do you got? <laughs> the Tuskegee Airmen. Oh. I, I have not seen it's an, it. It's, and I, it was I, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's based on a true story. Yeah, it's based on a true story. I know. Is it All good? Right, Mark, I just, Should I see it? I, I thought it was good. I, I watched it when I was younger with my grandfather. Uh, back in the 90s. So, I mean, it's it's an older movie. I right, thought it was well, better than the you. newer version of, of it for Red called Red Tails. Right, I saw that one too, yeah. All right, well, Justin, thank you for the movie quote, my friend. Great to talk to you. And I, How far away are you from Indiana? Uh, it's it's about four hours for me, I want to say, on a good day. And if I'm there we go. a little bit, but unfortunately, I got to work tomorrow, so I wouldn't be able to come out to Indiana and see, sadly. All right, my no, I know, but I'm just, I'm just wondering. I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of my distances here. I'm in the heartland. It's fun. Thanks for calling in, Justin. Appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's a great World War II movie that's kind of fallen, fallen down the memory hole a little bit. I think for people, uh, I always thought Memphis Bell was a really good movie for what it was. That's about, um, gosh, I almost said B two bomber, <laughs> wrong plane, B fifty twos, right? Oh, oh gosh, no, I might even be getting that one wrong. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the plan was. It's a big bomber, though. All right, it's about a big bomber. It's a good movie, though. That was well. I thought it was well done, um, and it, I feel like it doesn't really get much in the much of the replay stuff going on. So there's that. Uh, who else do we have here? We've got um, John. Who else is on the lines? I can't see here on my screen. I'm, I'm Doug in North Carolina. Hey, what's going on, Doug? Doug, are you there? Going once. It's not fun when it sounds like I'm talking to myself. Doug, are you getting? Uh, Doug, are, it sounds like you got you got a little shy. Doug, Doug disappeared. Doug had to take no, a. I'm, I'm, oh, there I'm he is! Hey. Hello. Yeah, we're here, man. We can hear you. No, I'm Bobby. I'm not Doug, but that's what's throwing me. Oh, me? Bobby. Yeah. Okay. Well, yep, you're sorry. Bobby then. What? Well, you can oh, call, you call, glad, we'll call you whatever you want. Glad, <laughs> I'm glad to get through because I was about to give up, but it's it's all good. Love you, Buck. Fairly recent listener, but I love it. Um, anyway, Thank you, sir. I, you know, you're welcome. I've got a quick – oh, and that Tuskegee – I mean, that's okay. I don't want to put anybody down. But I don't know that's an action movie, but whatever. But I've got one for you. I think it's easy for you. I won't even have to give you a clue. It's brief and quick, and it is – you bet your ass I wish to proceed. Uh, now, when uh, I tell you, you're going to say, oh, man. Okay. No, I don't have to repeat it. You got you got. Yeah, no, we all heard it. I hit the buzzer. What is that? How about Die Hard, the, the first one. It's the black guy. You bet your ass I wish to proceed. Ah. Uh... Oh yeah, the okay. The 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 the, the, the computer Texas, guy, the computer yeah, tech guy. I don't remember his Man, name. Man, I got okay. Ranger. Well, look, I appreciate you calling in, but we're we're getting a little. Okay, I need to reestablish some <laughs> of the. Thank you, my friend. Shield tie. Need to reestablish some of the rules for action movie quote Friday. It has to be kind of a quote that you know has a res like resonance, like a one liner, folks. It can't be like, "Would you like wine with dinner?" Like, no. It has to be, you know, "I'll be back." Like, it has to be something like that. Uh, and I, 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 I kind of think there's also, if we're going to really, this is not nom, there are rules. So I think I got to throw a flag when someone says that 
Tuskegee Airmen is an action movie. I mean, it's a war movie for sure. Action movie? Uh, it's, it's close. It's a close call. I'll, I'll give it a close call. We'll see. I'll hit the replay on that. We got a lot more coming up, including an update on McCabe and why he was fired from the FBI and where all that is going. And also, you know, we should see if Comey will come on the radio show, talk about his book, because Comey's the last honest man in America. We should see if he'll come on, if he can take the heat in the Freedom Hut. All right, we'll be right back. I didn't plan this. I just want to be very clear about that. I, I, I wasn't asking a rhetorical question and then setting up the next segment when I was uh, musing aloud about what's too young for us to get a, a national lecture about gun control in terms of the age of the of the lecturer. At, at what point can we discount someone's opinion from serious political discussion based on age? 15, 14. I didn't even know about this, and it just got sent to me in the break. CNN, no surprise, has a piece up about somebody who wants to run for governor of Vermont, a state we're going to talk about later in the show in the context of gun control legislation. Who wants to guess how old this would-be governor of Vermont is? That, That CNN Politics has written a piece on today profiling him. 13. 13 years old. Now, this isn't CNN writing about this in a humorous way. They're not saying, oh, isn't this cute? Pinch his cheeks. He's such a, isn't he precious? No, they're, they're, they're writing about this like it's a real thing. Ethan Sonneborn is an eighth grader who loves basketball, fishing, and writing. He also wants to be governor of Vermont. Not when he grows up, but now. And thanks to the fact that there are no state laws that require gubernatorial candidates to be a certain age, Ethan is officially the youngest candidate to run for that office in Vermont history. Based on the way they act around the Parkland kids, seems to me like they're saying, yeah, maybe maybe he's got a shot. Oh, by the way, any of you listening, do you want to take a guess what the centerpiece of young Ethan's platform is? And he, by the way, he might be a fantastic young man. And I, you know, it's pretty amazing that he thinks he should be governor at 13. I'll I'll say that. Uh, So I'm not criticizing the kid. He is a kid. He's not a young adult. He's a kid. I'm not criticizing the kid. I'm criticizing CNN for covering him. But 13 is a kid, right? He's a young, young guy. What do you think the centerpiece of his entire effort? Oh, that's right. Gun control. Now, can I just, can I just out of hand discount? CNN writing about this as some kind of a curiosity? No. Do I think that there's a pretty decent chance that they will put a 13-year-old on TV to talk about the Second Amendment and gun control? Who's, who happens to be running for the governor of Vermont? Yes, I do. Which now means that I have an answer to my question before, which is, do, does CNN have any age standards whatsoever for who they'll put on TV for the purposes of discussing politics and also attacking their political enemies? I think the answer is no. I, I, I think if the, if the circumstances are advantageous for the left and for CNN, for others, you know, they'll put a 10-year-old on TV to tell us about how if you don't agree with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer on guns, you don't care about dead kids. 
And uh, what are you going to do? You're going to criticize a 10-year-old? You monster. This is why these people have no ethics, no integrity. The media, the journalists that are putting this out there, they have no shame. And that's why, from the beginning, I was saying, don't think that your good faith in this discussion will ever be rewarded. It will be used against you. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Welcome, but uh, welcome. Excuse me. Welcome back. Welcome, Buck, to the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, great to have you with me. Um, I know we're heading into a holiday weekend, so uh, I'm uh, looking forward to spending some time with family, at least on on Sunday. Uh, currently, I'm in Indiana, but I'll be back Sunday for Easter with family, and I'm uh, hoping you all have a very good holiday weekend as well. I know it's Passover. It's Good Friday. We've got Easter coming up. We also have a bunch of news to get through today, though. So, you know, I was thinking in the last hour about my theories on gun control and how it's mostly about the political fight. It's really gun control is the vessel, but it's not the it's not really the ultimate end purpose of a lot of the stuff that you see happening in the streets. And the reason that CNN and others cover this so much is uh, because it is part of a broader narrative. And it's about political mobilization, and it goes back to Alinsky. You know, once you get people mobilized for one issue, you once you get them mobilized for for pollution, you can get them mobilized for corruption. Once they're for corruption, for inequality, for inequality, for you know, and so on and so forth. Uh, you just got to get people energized and activated. That's what activists do. Right? The left is very fond of activists and and community organizers, even. Um, and I've been thinking for a while that there's probably going to be a convergence of some of the different leftist activist groups out there in, in preparation for a uh, a large-scale media-assisted, social media-enabled leftist progressive political movement to help with the midterm elections. And when you go back and you look at how these protests tend to be, whether it's Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter, you know, not my president with Trump, um, and now, oh, the Women's March, of course, and now the uh, March for Our Lives, these other protest movements will also be there. These other groups, these other agendas come into play. And one that I have had, a, I've been wondering, when are we going to see the return of the movement? And it's interesting because we just I've had some sound bites here on the show of Parkland students saying, you know, there's a racial inequality in school violence. And another uh, I can't remember what the clip was earlier in the week. uh, We played someone saying that if you arm teachers because of institutional racism, you'll be putting black students at greater risk. And oh, and, and the school to prison pipeline. Remember, CNN had that panel of students talking about the school to prison pipeline and. So I'm starting to see some of the uh, the racial protest movement agenda infused into this anti-gun or this gun control movement. And I think now we've, we have the case that will most likely lead to a return of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement, which you remember was against police 
Not really, not against the administration. It wasn't used against the administration because Barack Obama was president at the time. It was not uh, politically about going after the White House, but it was a means of getting the left organized, mobilized, and, and enthusiastic about its political activity. And the media loved, I mean, the media loved covering all the marches and remember the burning, uh, the burning of parts of St. Louis and then Baltimore and, and all of it, right? This was a, 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 when you go back and think about it, is, wasn't it amazing when you, when you think back to when the, the riots were happening in Ferguson and in Baltimore, how uh, it, it was covered as though this was normal political activity for, by the, from the perspective of the media. They're like, yeah, you know, sometimes you got to burn down a few buildings. You know, sometimes you got to loot a lot of CBSs. I mean, it's just going to happen. But look at look at the footage we have here. Oh, look at the police with their tear gas. The police are so mean. They're so bad. It was really an anti-police movement in many ways. It was about uh, anger against the cops. I also always thought that the Black Lives Matter movement during the Obama administration was a way for the Democrats to uh, defray or to deflect responsibility for not particularly improving the economic situation of uh, disadvantaged minorities in the country, particularly African-Americans, as promised under the administration, right? So, hey, sorry, we're not, you know, sorry, we're not making uh, the unemployment numbers get much better in the in, in black community. Sorry, we're not doing enough to bring down crime in neighborhoods like Chicago. But, hey, let's all get really angry at the, at the cops and institutional racism. I think there were, I think that was part of it. That was part of why you saw that happening. And, and they, they seized on these specific cases. I think we have perhaps, and we'll see over the course of this weekend, but we, we may have the case that will spark the return of the Black Lives Matter movement. And it has to do with uh, Stefan Clark. Stefan Clark was an unarmed 22-year-old who was shot in Sacramento earlier this month. He was shot eight times, and now the autopsy report has come out saying that most of the bullets hit him in the back. And this was an autopsy requested by the uh, Clark family's attorneys. Um, he only had an iPhone on him at the time. And there is footage of this. There is footage of this, and they're saying that he was not facing the officers when he was killed, and that the autopsy contradicts the police narrative of uh of Clark's death and Sacramento has a, the Sacramento police department has a, has an issue on its hands right now, a, a big one. Um, this, I, I want to dig a little more into the specifics of the event. I really was just seeing this today before I came on because that's critical. That's everything. I am very, uh, favorable towards law enforcement. As you know, I have law enforcement in, in my family and I have worked with law enforcement in the past. That doesn't mean that every time there's a police-involved shooting, I'll go, yeah, you know, stuff happens. No. Those who are entrusted with public safety have a particular responsibility to uphold certain standards of conduct and behavior. And if they fail to meet those, they have to be held responsible like any other citizen would, like any other person would. That said, the media, as you know, loves to misrepresent I mean, the the. 
most glaring example that comes to mind is the whole Mike Brown gentle giant situation, right? He was the gentle giant, uh, but they do this in other in other instances too. The Washington Post tried this. I want to say six, maybe nine months ago uh, when there was a case, it was just outside of Washington, D.C., of somebody who was in a car and the police, I remember watching the video of it, and the way that the Post was describing it, it was an unarmed man shot to death in his car by police for no good reason. And when I watched the video, what you had was a guy who was pulled over and when law enforcement got out of their cars, you've seen this before, right? It's on a lot of those like, hey, like crazy chase videos. Uh, but law enforcement gets out of the car to just do a tra- routine traffic stop, I think. And the guy takes off and then they chase him. And then he keeps he keeps trying to evade them. And then, you, uh, and then you have the cops are able to get him off the road. And the car gets kind of thrown into an embankment. But when the cops then stand in front of the vehicle and are yelling him to get out, he tries to hit the accelerator and run them, you know, and, and tries to bump them with his car. Uh, you know, if if you've got uh, if you got your foot on the accelerator and I'm standing in front of your vehicle and I'm law enforcement, and I've told you to, you know, to get out of the car, put your hands up and you think you're going to run me down. I'm going to shoot. Right. So there were no charges brought against the officers there because they didn't do anything wrong. But I could tell the way that Washington Post was writing about it. They were. Trying to position it like, oh, unarmed man shot in vehicle for no reason. Well, uh, other than trying to run the cops down with this car, yeah, there was no reason. No reason at all. Uh, in this case, I have to dig because when you when you read the initial news articles, there there will be a lot of focus on unarmed, unarmed, unarmed. And as anyone in law enforcement knows listening to this, well, there's unarmed and there's not a threat. And that's not the same thing. In this case, based on what I've read so far, it sounds like they uh, sounds like it was a, a case where officers overreacted. But I don't know. I'm going to dig in it, uh, dig into it some more because I want to uh, really take a look and see if there's a possibility here of officers said, you know, stop. And he has an iPhone in his hand and it's dark and he turns and they shoot him. Now, that could be a terrible accident. That's a terrible accident, but that's not manslaughter, right? That's not officer misconduct. But I'm seeing it right now based on some of the, the social media chatter and some of the other uh, some of the news outlets that I know are preparing for a pro- major protests this weekend. And wouldn't that all fit within the narrative? You'll have the March for Our Lives, you know, the anti-gun movement out there with these students. You will have the return of uh, Black Lives Matter. You will have the continued mobilization of the women's march which is largely an anti-trump slash pro-abortion march but you'll have the continued uh, you know the women's march i think the climate change march kind of fizzled out no one took that all that serious but maybe that'll come back but you see that they're bringing all these movements together and it is uh, political it's an effort to cr- construct media narratives that will push turnout in the midterms that will force the Republicans or push the uh, Democrats, I should say, to to win the House back and start the impeachment proceedings against Trump that we all know the moment you have a Democrat majority in the House, it's going to start. So I think you may see this here. I think Stefan Clark's this incident. And like I said, I'm withholding judgment on this, not because I'm unwilling to come to a judgment on whether I think it was a, a good shoot or not. I just need to dig into the details. I want to read the police report. I want to read as much as we can of the autopsy report. 
because the the way media reports on these things and, and the way it actually ends up happening is very disparate. And you have to go to the as much as you can, the original source material. If there's video. That's obviously quite helpful. Uh, but even just the specific written descriptions of the event, regardless, though, whether it was a good shoot or not. This may be the resurgence of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement, which, as you know, is very much supported by the mainstream media and would breathe some renewed life into the Democrat Party right now, which is flailing for a reason to exist other than hatred of Trump, uh, abortion and illegal immigration. Other, oh, and, and Russia and Russia fear mongering. Beyond that, it's not really clear what the Democrats stand for at this point. So that's where I think uh, this is. I think this is all heading there. We'll see if I'm right. Uh, 844-900-2825. You want to chat this hour? 844-900-BUCK. Coming up, we are going to talk about the standoff at the Israel-Gaza border. You've got 12 people killed there. Big, massive, multi-thousand person protest. And it's really more of an occupation even than a protest. Uh, we'll discuss that also. Hillary, hello, she's back in the news. We'll talk about her because as long as she's going to make herself a news story, we're going to talk about her. All right. I'm not trying to be mean. Uh, if, if she if she wants to, you know, just wander off, hang out, do some finger painting and drink a lot of Chardonnay, like that's cool. I won't talk about her on the show, but if she's going to make herself a news story, I don't have to talk about Hillary. So here we are. Um, you know, She could be doing yoga. Instead, she wants to. Remember yoga schedules and uh, wedding plans? That was, all, that was all that was in her emails. Remember that? Those are good times. Those are good times. Um, and then uh, some, some kind of grab bag fun stuff in the third hour. People, people are talking smack about coffee. You know we can't allow that here. We can't allow that. And I've got some other stuff planned for you. 844-900-2825. We will be right back. I want to circle back for a second because uh, I've been talking to you about the the uh, Parkland political activists and the uh, backlash uh, against Laura Ingram specifically from advertisers because of what was uh, really a, a a minor comment and I didn't even I, I should have seen the refusal to accept the apology from Ingram and I, I knew that that Hogg David Hogg had refused to accept the apology. Um, but I, I should have known better than to just think that it was not not important to see what was written. Here's what he wrote. So Laura Ingram writes that very nice apology to David Hogg, which I read to you on air yesterday. Here's what he writes in response. I 100% agree an apology in an effort just to save your advertisers is not enough. I will only accept your apology only if you denounce the way your network has treated my friends and I in this fight. Uh, it's time to love thy neighbor, not mudsling at children. By the way, my friends and me. Anyway, uh, not mudsling at children. Are they are they children, or are they uh, wise political activists who are going to shake up the nation and change the world? I I just would I want to know which one is it because he's he's referring to children here. So if his friends who are speaking out are children. Then are we elevating children into a national political discussion that they have no business 
dictating without at least the right of response from the rest of the country? Or No? Where are we on this? Uh, media loves this game. They love to play dirty. You'll notice that they won't invite any, they won't invite any conservatives on these networks that are having these interviews with these, these children, as he says all the time, to, to just ask some of these so-called journalists what they think they're doing here and what, what ethics they think they are supporting and w- what this is really all about. They won't because they are, uh, well, the journalists involved are cowards and that's nothing new, but it's always annoying. Uh, do we still have Kenny in Boston on the line? I'm in I'm in Indiana now, folks, so I can't I, I can't see. Is that Kenny in Boston? Yes, it is. Good evening. Hey, how like you doing? Talk, hi, how you doing? I'd like to with all this talk of the Saul Alinsky style methodology of crowd motivation and activism. I want to know your humble opinion of where do you think Antifa or Antifa has been? I haven't seen them lately. They've been like in, in hiding. Are they going to come out now because of the gun stuff? You know, they've been a little more low profile. I agree. I've been kind of wondering that too. Antifa! Antifa! Um, there we go. Uh, you know, I've been wondering where they are. I think that they got, they, they were creating more heat for the left than they were worth for a while. So I, I kind of think they wore out their welcome for a little bit. They'll be back. I mean, to be sure. Remember, they think of themselves as the shock troops of progressive protest movements, really. So they're not a completely separate movement. I mean, the, the black block, which is what Antifa does, the black block will be around in some of these other, if you get Black Lives Matter going again, Black Block, which is just a reference to the clothing of the tactics used, will be back as part of the Black Lives Matter movement protest. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think that they'll be around. But yeah, there was a there was a time when they were trying to shut down all these college campus speeches, and I think the press was having a tough time defending them because when you're when you're being thugs who beat up like Charles Murray at Middlebury or. Uh, you know, attack a female professor at Middlebury for a a speech. You know, when you're acting like that, and that wasn't even Antifa, that was just Middlebury students. Um, But the whole campus free speech fight, Antifa was a liability in that. So I think they've they've mellowed out. I shouldn't say they haven't mellowed out. They've gone to ground for now. But, you know, I'm always keeping my eye out for them. I I follow some of the, the Twitter accounts and things. I'm looking to see where they are. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, my friend. Do you think, I have one more thing. Do you think that Jeff Sessions has been effectively put into a box, or do you think he's uh, lying in the weeds and, and maneuvering behind the scenes? Well, I'm biased here because Jeff's obviously my buddy, but uh, I, you know, we'll see. I, I can't. I I'm not refusing to answer. I don't have a good answer. I think that. Uh, let me think about that one a little bit. How about that? We got to roll into a break here. That was such a buck. You just wimped out. No, no, I'll, I'll address that. I just need to think about it. Um, maybe we'll talk about McCabe for a second and then Israel. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. There's some... Uh, Relatively new breaking news for you. Um, Noor Salman, the wife of the Pulse nightclub shooter, Omar Mateen, has been acquitted. Wow. She's been acquitted by a federal jury. Uh, she was charged with material support to a terrorist organization and obstruction. She faced life in prison if 
found guilty. Um, and the, the pro- prosecutors were saying that she had a role in her husband's murder spree at the Pulse nightclub that uh, killed 49 people, wounded 53 others. But, um, yeah. Wow, hold on a second. This is interesting. Late Friday, the jury foreman sent in a statement to the Orlando Sentinel that the verdict did not mean jurors thought Ms. Salmon was unaware of Mr. Mateen's plans. Quote, on the contrary, we were convinced she did know, the foreman told the Sentinel. She may not have known what day or what location, but she knew. However, we were not decide- We were not tasked with deciding if she was aware of a potential attack. The charges were aiding and abetting and obstruction of justice. And on those charges, he said, the jury was presented with no option but to acquit. Wow. So she knew, according to this juror, that her husband was planning a mass murder spree. Did nothing about it, but knowing and doing nothing in this context, they're saying is not a crime. Uh, unbelievably heinous and uh, immoral, uh, but somehow not a crime. Oh, what a what a kick in the face that is. All right, I, I let, let's get into some more calls here because it's a Friday, and I love hearing from all of you. Janice in Boston. Hey, Janice. Buck, um, I just wanted to tell you, Antifa was at Boston last weekend at the rally. Um, oh, for, so wait, so they were there for the uh, the March for Our Lives. Well, someone called it the Get Out the Vote Rally, but they... Um, they so my theory out. about how they're present at these rallies is, of course, correct once again. But go ahead. They uh, There was a radio personality who was there interviewing people, and there was a small counter-protest, and they showed up, and they were throwing dirty feminine products at the protesters. And the police, when they showed up, the police said this, this woman told her it wasn't safe and that she should leave, so she did. But I don't think they, the the news people want to cover them for some reason. They they just... They yeah, they I don't think, I don't think they do thing. either. You yeah, know, this I is like whenever there's they... a violent protest, Janice, <clears throat> you know, we, we hear about the mostly peaceful protesters, and we tend not... We, we only see the the things get crazy and violent when police start having to use tear gas and pepper spray and stuff and then all of a sudden it's like oh my gosh it was a mostly peaceful protest but we all know they're stacking the deck they're stacking the deck against the cops that's interesting about boston thank you for uh bringing that to my attention if you see anything like that you know take photos put it out on social media so folks like me know what's going on okay all right thanks thank you so much janice have a great weekend have a happy easter uh casey in north carolina hey case oh casey's back He's not hey, calling from 20,000 leagues under the sea this time. How are you, sir? Great. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, um, I just had uh, one question. Uh, these uh, these cops that uh, CNN and uh, Time Magazine is using for the Parkland school shooting, they, they want to talk about how it's, uh, they want to blame the NRA. It's the NRA's fault. It's the uh, conservatives' fault. Why don't they mention the fact that these students that they're propping up admitted to being some of the people that was bullying the shooter? I didn't. Uh, I actually never saw that. Was that reported in where? Did, is that reported by the um, what's the main the Miami Herald or who, who reported on that? I, I can't remember. I I seen a story online. Um, hmm. I'll, I'll have to I don't remember seeing that story. More. So and that that would strike me as. Uh, something that I, I I would recall, but let me just uh, let me dig into that some more. That that may have been there was a lot of 
of rumor and stuff being printed about the shooting in the aftermath that turned out not to be true. So uh, let me let me try to track down. I, 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 my sense is that that wasn't what happened or that 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 wasn't really the way that it was recorded. But let, let me take a look at it. I, I look, I don't remember everything. So um, I'll check it out. Casey, anything else in your mind? Yeah, well, I mean, judging by the way he's acting now, I mean, it, it seems kind of believable to me. Hmm. But I, well, I, uh, I don't. I, I didn't see that reported anywhere, but I'll, I will definitely check it out, and I appreciate you calling in. Uh, Eric in West Virginia, you're up next, my friend. What's up? Hey, Buck. Happy Easter. Hey, happy Easter to you. I just want to love to be in high school to be able to debate this David Hogg kid. I know ten times more about economics and logic than this kid could even dream of. Well, you know, the, the Kyle Kashov, who is an also a Parkland student, has been, I think I even retweet, retweeted it from my account, he's been saying for days now, you know, I, I really would like to have an open debate with David Hogg on this issue, and the media is ducking it. And, you know, if this were about, never mind getting to the truth, if it were just about ratings, don't you think that they would want to put the most prominent uh, anti-gun Parkland spokesperson up against the... Not as prominent because the media doesn't put him on TV a hundred times a, a day. Pro Second Amendment Parkland uh, survivor, right? I mean, wouldn't you think that's a natural for any TV station or producer? But you know, there it's it's somehow not. But Kashiv has put the invitation out there. It's been very public, and no taker, uh, no takers in the media, no taker from David Hogg, from what I understand, quite yet. Just about fit into their agenda, Buck. But uh, I do have a movie quote for you. Oh, we got time for that. Go ahead. Okay. How's this work? Like, you have to guess it? Is that how it works? Yeah, like you tell me, you say what the quote is, and I try to guess the movie. It's a game that I played with my brothers growing up my whole life, so now I do it with all of you. Oh, my God, the quarterback is toast. Oh, dude, that's from Die Hard when they shoot the armored vehicle as it tries to enter the building in what is one of the most ill-fated SWAT missions in all of TV and movie history. Thank you very much, my friend, for calling in. It's uh, great to talk to you, and I appreciate it. Uh, Shields high, and have a... uh, Eric, have a very good good Easter. I didn't say Thanksgiving a second ago, did I? Did I say Thanksgiving, John? Okay. For a second, I almost thought I said a happy... I thought I said a happy Thanksgiving. I'm like, Buck, you need to take a nap. Um, All right, team. uh, Live from Indiana, the Buck Sexton Show continues in just a couple minutes here. Uh, We are going to be joined by our friend David Ifun. Why is there violence on the border with Israel and Gaza right now? What is going on? Thousands of people gathering there, over 12 uh, 12 killed and hundreds wounded so far. What's happening? We'll tell you right after the break. Team Buck is cleared and ready for the Buck Brief. 12 killed and 370 injured. That's the headline about the protests going on in Gaza right now, at the border of Gaza and Israel. What is happening here? Why are Palestinians swarming the border area, burning photos of Trump, and in the midst of what could be a protest that 
carries on for weeks. We have David Efun with us now. He is the editor-in-chief of the Algaminer. David, great to have you back. It's always a pleasure, Buck. David, what's happening here? Well, I think we can see what's what's actually happening uh, is all over the headlines. You have uh, thousands and thousands. I think it was thirty thousand, according to the the IDF count of uh, Palestinians from the Gaza Strip trying to rush the Israeli border. Of course, this is not a situation that would be tolerated by any sovereign government. So Israel, uh, seeing the preparations that were in place in the lead-up to this march, as, as it's been called, has set up security services and snipers across the border and are using uh, riot dispersal and other methods in order to keep these uh, rioters from crossing into the state of Israel. The question I think that's very interesting is what's behind it. Why now? Uh, These protests always tend to appear spontaneous, but they never are. They're orchestrated, they're prepared, they have an intention, they have a purpose, and uh, that's what we're seeing unfold right now. David, the the, the timing of it, though, it's it's because it's Passover, it's because the Palestinians are also saying that this is a right-of-return protest. This is just for maximum media exposure, right? Look, the media exposure is a big part of it, but we're also seeing, but it's also a distraction from, from the real question over here. And, and we've seen this as a cycle, by the way, in the, in the history of the way that Palestinians have approached their relationship with Israel, right? We saw this with Yasser Arafat. Basically, whenever they don't want to come to the table and talk with the other side, so they there's an immediate turn to violence. And this achieves a couple of things. First of all, it increases international attention on the issue, so there's a lot more pressure on Israelis to make further concessions, etc. And it also distracts from the real question, which is, why are the peace talks not happening? Why, why is it getting to this? So, you know, we saw this, for example, with Yasser Arafat in the 90s, uh, when the first intifada broke out. That was immediately following the breakdown in peace talks, when, when Yasser Arafat famously turned down the offer of a Palestinian state, and then within weeks, we were seeing bombings on buses in Jerusalem and the carnage that came with that. So now we're facing a very, very similar situation. Here you have an administration that is more even-handed and certainly sees the Israeli perspective than the previous administration. They're not forcing Israel to make concrete concessions in exchange for the promise of peace. And the Palestinians have climbed all the way back up the tree. Uh, now, the, the, the Trump uh, administration and the Israelis are saying, listen, we want to sit down and talk, we've got a peace plan, etc. And the Palestinian response is violence. Is the peace process, you think, under the Trump administration uh, making more headway at this point than in a comparable period under the Obama administration? I know it's very early, David, but uh, are we are we seeing... Uh, the the beginnings, uh, the the early signs of what could lead to some kind of a discussion? Where are we in all that? Look, the truth is the peace process, as it's been called, has never made any headway, not under Trump and not under Obama. And there's, there's a simple, straightforward reason for that. And this has been the fear and, and, and the concern that Israelis have had for so long. And that is that there is no Palestinian intention to reach any sort of peace agreement. And that peace and the peace process is just used as as a as a as a tool, as a as a fate, what, what became known as the phased plan in the 70s. This was very publicly orchestrated by the Arab League, where they say, "Look, 
Our goal is to take the entire Israel. We don't believe that the Jews have any right to self-determination in this land. It's our land, it's Arab land, etc. Um, and the idea is basically to use the peace mechanism in order to gain as much territory as possible and then launch further attacks from the expanded territory. That's been the fear of Israelis all along. And Israel in, 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 you know, has tried through the Oslo Accords, through 2005, this engagement from Gaza, to give uh, to, to this approach, giving a little bit of land and seeing what the result is. And in every single territory that Israel has withdrawn from, there has been a, a terror state established, and uh, God knows what, what amount of bloodshed that we've seen follows. So really what we're seeing here is that it, the, the, the worst fears of the Israelis are actually being proven correct. And this approach whereby if we can't have it all, we'll have nothing, which is basically the approach that Abbas is taking. If you're not going to commit to doing X, Y, and Z, then I'm not even going to come to the table. That confirms the worst fears of the Israelis, that there isn't a real intention for peace there. Peace talks are a tactic. Uh, they're, not, uh, they're not a goal in and of themselves. We're speaking to David Efoun, who's the editor-in-chief of the Algaminer. Uh, David, the plans, as I've read about uh, today, are for these protesters to set up camps, uh, set up tents, and stay for weeks. Is this kind of turning into a, you know, occupy the border? Is that is that the idea? Kind of like the Occupy Wall Street movement here in America? Well, I mean, what is this all about? Yes, I mean, look, uh, uh, the longer this goes on, and, and, and the more headlines that this attracts, uh, the, the more is gained from the Palestinian side. So they're going to do everything that they can to not just elongate it, but to inflict the maximum amount of damage on their own citizens, because a PR win from them is when a supposedly innocent uh, Palestinian is killed by an Israeli. That, that's the goal. That's the victory. And we've seen reports. We've seen this uh, from the Israelis, uh, the IDF, pointing out how they're sending children to the borders, and they're taking on belligerent action. I mean, there's, there, there are attempts at, at, at harming soldiers and, and at uh, targeting civilians in that vicinity from the Palestinian side, right? So uh, they're looking to, to, to entice the infliction of damage. They're using these civilians as human shields. The more deaths, the better for the Palestinian cause. That's how uh, they're framing it, and that's, how, uh, that's what they're looking to achieve here. Uh, David, just any any predictions or anything you want to let us know about what to expect going forward with this? Well, this is, that's a very good question. I think it will depend a lot on the Israeli security forces. So, so there's going to be the the, the, the Shimbet, who are the, the key players over here. That Israel's version of the FBI, uh, the the or the, the MI5, uh, the the internal uh, security services who have sources and have assets. Uh, you know, all across the, the Palestinian communities. How are they going to be able to clamp down on the orchestrators of this and uh, to take out from the equation some of the more aggressive elements in, in this campaign? Uh, the other thing that's going to be important is, is what the price is going to be for Hamas. We've seen already that Israel has started uh, going after targets in Hamas targets in the Gaza Strip. And there's a reason for that. You know, this territory is completely controlled by Hamas, which is of course, internationally recognized as a terrorist organization. And nothing happens there without uh, not only Hamas's blessing, but Hamas's orchestration. So Hamas is behind this, this, this whole event. 
so the question is, what's the cost going to be to Hamas? So we've started to see Israel now specifically targeting Hamas uh, weapons depots and 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 uh, and hotspots in the Gaza Strip. And if Hamas feels that that there is a risk, that there's a lot to lose, and Israelis will keep going after Hamas interests in the Gaza Strip, they might decide, well, this isn't really worth the cost at this stage. David Afoon is the editor-in-chief of the Algaminer. Go to the Algaminer. Uh, com to check out all of the latest they're doing over there. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us, man. Always appreciate it. Always a pleasure, bud. All right, uh, team, we'll be back with Hour 3 coming up here in just a few. We're going to talk about Hillary and coffee and Vermont. Oh, my. Stay with me. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. And right now, people saying, um, get off the public stage and shut up, which right. is something yeah. we're hearing all the time. Yeah. How do you... Well, I, you know, um, that, that began to happen after the election. Yeah. And, you know, the election yeah. was uh, pretty traumatic. I was really struck by... Um, how people said that to me, you know, mostly people in the press, um, for whatever reason, like, oh, you know, go away, go away. And I, I had a, uh, one of the young people who works for me go back and do a bit of uh, research. They never said that to any man who was not elected. Oh, Hillary, do not shut up. Oh, welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. But that, that's Hillary. I actually thought it was Hillary at first, but it was her interviewer. I couldn't really tell the difference. It was like, Hillary, what do you think? Wow, I'm Hillary. I don't know. Uh, but w- w- notice that there's there's a bitterness, a bitterness that creeps into her voice there, along with the dulcet and just soothing tones. I'm the best. Hillary doesn't want to go away. Because as I have said to those of you who have been listening to me for a while, many times, there's a hole in her soul. Think about what this woman was willing to do to get where she is think about all of her complicity with bill clinton's just serial grotesque behavior of all kinds think about the depths of the corruption and just the willingness to sell one's beliefs to the and and beliefs and actions to the highest bidder all the time it must be somewhat exhausting and i think it's also soul crushing and hillary has allowed her soul to be crushed for so long that I feel like she doesn't even remember what it's like to have problems with corruption, or to, to have scruples that you don't want to violate. But just more to the point about her not going away, it's a great reminder for all of us out there who sometimes, and I put, I put myself in this category in the last week or two, who are like, come on, Trump, you set a wall, come on. I, you know, it's, he still could do it. I'm not saying it's not happening, I'm just... But I put myself in this category of, you know, I I have high standards, darn it. And I want the president to follow through on the promises that he made. It is important for me to sometimes be reminded, though, that it could have been Hillary. Hello. What happened? It could have been her. In fact, it was not just likely. It was almost definitively said it would be her. And we avoided that. Somehow uh, we avoid it because of of Trump. I mean, you know, we can we that doesn't mean we can't criticize what's going on right now, but we very much could have had Hillary. 
But she still can't help but play the aggrieved victim here. Um, that it's about how a man who lost an election was never told to shut up. That's just nonsense, right? I, I can't say enough times we don't need to hear from John Kerry ever again about anything. I can say this with all, in, in all truth. I've never heard John Kerry say a single thing that I thought was insightful or profound. And I've been forced to, because I pay attention and cover politics, hear a lot of John Kerry. Um, yes, uh, this is um, the way to... He always kind of reminded me of the, the trees from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. They move very, very slowly. And Kerry even kind of... You know, visually reminds me of the Ents, the trees from Lord of the Rings. But he's just not an interesting or insightful guy. Nonetheless, whenever he pops up again, he's like, I'm doing a fundraiser. I'm like, no, we don't need to hear from John Kerry. We've had enough. But with Hillary, I, I kind of want to hear more from her. I think a lot of Republicans feel the same way because she is a reminder of what the other side not just offered up, but was willing to debase themselves to support. You know, if you're looking to just kind of have a little bit of a reassurance going to this weekend because we've got some some uh, tough political headwinds right now got some things the midterms it's going to get real nasty real fast just remember that it could very well have been hillary and the left the democrats the media there there was nothing that they were unwilling to do the the government itself the deep state the swamp the swamp dwellers right all covered in vines and Spanish moss or whatever, right? I'm trying to think of what was the uh, thank you, John Swamp Thing. That's what I was trying to think of. I feel like I watched a Swamp Thing show on USA when I was a kid for a while. Does that sound right? I can barely remember it, but there was a guy and it. Yeah, yeah, it was on USA. I remember Swamp Thing. Uh, I also remember a long time ago watching a like a Beauty and the Beast version on TV that the Beast was like running around in the sewers and he was real scary looking. You know, I did not, he was not like, it didn't look like a cuddly, a cuddly bear that happened to be a human being. He actually looked pretty scary. Uh, Anyway, so back to Hillary. She says lots of things, including this. Play clip 10. But I do worry that what's happened to the Republican Party is that it's being held captive by a very small group of powerful forces. We have seen the power of the NRA, for example. Some of the very wealthy uh, patrons of the Republican Party are so demanding. If you, if you deviate from their stated requests, they will fund somebody to run against you in a Republican primary. They will dry up your money. They will make it really difficult. So she's saying that it's held captive held captive by a small group of powerful forces. What does she think the Democrat party is really all about? What are we to make of, of the Democrat party? They're not held captive. I mean, the Democrats have two agenda items that are absolute that you cannot waver from them. You cannot. One is abortion. So Planned Parenthood. Another is illegal immigration. But when you look at their, the, the people that are calling the shots, very large donors, who in some cases are environmentalist uh, wackos, 
make all kinds of decisions for the rest of the Democrat Party. I mean, we it's so funny to me how much more we hear about, for example, uh, funders on the right than you'll ever hear about Soros. Soros. George Soros. He wants to spread democracy around the world. So he writes checks. He funds these things. People don't really like my Soros as much as I feel like they should. That sounds a lot like Soros, everybody. All right? Do an audio check. You'll see what I mean. Why does this poofy-haired kid think that he could make fun of me? I'm worth billions. What is he worth? Like $300? Maybe 400 Maybe? Well, Soros is right about that. Just had to pay my, pay my tax bill. It's not, it's not a lot left. Not a lot left in the tank at this point. He is poor, but he is rich in hair. That is true. I've got a lot of, a lot of hair up top still, so that's good news. All right, so uh, Hillary, she's the worst. Could have been a lot worse than anything we're seeing right now. And I want her to keep talking. I want her to keep talking. Oh, wait, by the way, Kellyanne Conway, I want to point this out. She got in on the Hillary speech bashing. Play clip two, please. It was publicly reported she got about $25,000 for that speech. Woo. She used to get 10 times that, folks, yep, 10 times that. So she was giving speeches right. before she lost her second presidential election. There are 5,000 people. That's about $5 a person. And, and so I think if she wants to be part of the national conversation, she should call us about infrastructure, opioids, health care, taxes. Understood. There are many conversations to be had. I don't see her out there doing talking much about anything beyond herself. I, I, by the way, I don't put her down for 20. I would love to take, <laughs> if anyone wants to pay me 25 grand for a speech. I mean, if, if anyone just wants to take me out for like a really good steak, it doesn't even have to be rib, ribeye. I'll, we'll, we'll speak for flat iron, right? We'll speak for butcher cut steak. You name it. And there's any number that I'm willing to speak for. Um, but 25 grand, it's not that it's not a lot of money because it is, it's that, what it says is that she was selling influence before, and now she's not. Uh, Vermont changes gun laws, and coffee is now being called car, uh, carcinogen. I'm going to tackle this stuff right after the break. Vermont is a funky place, my friends. I have no idea how many of our, our wonderful listeners here live in the great state of Vermont. I know we've got some podcast listeners in Vermont, but it's, it's funky. You, you think of it as the home of Ben and Jerry's. Great skiing. I used to go to camp. I used to go to summer camp in Vermont, actually. Very fond memories of uh, being in Vermont. Vermont in July is wonderful, right? It's a great place. You're up in the hills there and uh, really, really enjoyed it. But it's incredibly liberal. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's, I think, Fish, the the band with all the tie-dye and weed smoking, and also uh, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Again, tie-dye and weed smoking. Him, yeah, like, eat some ice cream and listen to some live music. They sound the same in California and Vermont, apparently, uh, according to me. But Vermont is a state that has the lowest per capita violent crime rate in the country. So you, you got to tip your hat to it there, right? Vermont's very, very safe. But, and this is, uh, if you can go back in the archives, uh, Professor Dershowitz and uh, Young Buck here, had this debate on CNN about gun control years ago. This was after Newtown. And Professor Dershowitz said states with stricter gun laws have less violent crime and states with more lax gun laws have more violent crime. And I said, well, Professor Dershowitz, that's a tough one because Vermont has the lowest violent crime rate in the country and who wants to guess very lax gun laws, relatively speaking. 
You just go in and buy, buy stuff. I, I think it's also no permitting necessary. I'd have to check. Every state's laws are different, so don't don't take my word for it, okay? You got to check on this. But I think the uh, law in Vermont is that you could open carry without a, either open or concealed, I, have to, I don't remember, but without a permit. As long as you're lawfully allowed to have a gun, uh, you can open carry it or conceal carry. I'm not sure which one it is, without a permit. Anyway, so it's very... Loose gun laws. You know how many murders there were in Vermont? Uh, I think it was last year. Ten. In the state, there were ten murders. There are ten murders in a bad three-hour stretch of a weekend in Chicago sometimes, and nobody even notices. The entire state of Vermont, ten murders. This is important because of what it says about gun policy across the country. That the, the position that Dershowitz took on air against me and CNN years ago, I don't know, Dershowitz has been good on some stuff. He's good on a lot of stuff, but he's bad on guns. Uh, and I won that debate, by the way. I'm just saying, Buck, brush your shoulder off. Oh, that's right. He's a, he's a world-famous law professor at Harvard. Well, I'm a poofy-haired, preppy, former CIA ninja. So I won that debate. Anyway, I'm going to stop saying that. That's <laughs> like a kid. I win! Uh, but Vermont is a place that is very different than what you would expect based on the gun laws. If you believe that gun laws correlate, uh, with either higher or lower crime, as we know, it's not the case. And Vermont, despite all of this, and this is why I'm thinking about this right now. The Vermont legislature has just passed a gun control bill. This is in the aftermath of what happened in uh, Parkland so it's fascinating. You had a a Democrat in office during Newtown, Barack Obama. And there was very little, if any, change in legislation anywhere in the country. Very little. I think New York changed some stuff, Connecticut with assault rifles, but very minimal. And post Parkland, with a Republican administration, you have had much more widespread, real legislative efforts and and some legislations passed limiting guns uh so i can get into why that is i think in just a second but the vermont legislature is raising the buying age and limiting high capacity magazines um this is unlikely to stop anything and it certainly is coming in a place where there there are very few murders very few homicides to worry about to begin with now, I know people will say, well, what about people who buy guns in Vermont and go across state lines with them? And my answer to that is always, well, now we're just saying that state gun laws don't really matter, right? If you concede that, then you're also then why even change these laws at the state? You should only be worried about it at the federal level because it's obviously a failed, a failed approach. If you think that you're just going to have illegal guns from Pennsylvania flooding in the streets of New York... Why change the gun laws in New York and make them so draconian? And they'll say, oh, well, it's better than doing nothing. But to that, I say, you're, there, there's a concession. They're, they're conceding in this whole process that it's completely insufficient and, and unlikely to stop anything. But it's about taking action. It's just about doing something. That's what the politics dictate right now. That's why Vermont is passing a gun control bill. It doesn't have any violence, really. Ten murders, folks, in the whole state. OK, that's and, and I know those murders, how many of them were domestic disputes or involved drug dealing? I would guess all of them. So 
it's not something that is a is a big public safety risk. Um, but the reason that different states across the country, uh, and you know, Florida is obviously the uh, the epicenter of all this, but the people point out to me because you guys are all you guys are very strict on the words. I don't want to misuse any words. Epicenter technically means to be above the center of something. Huh? Yeah, I know. People use it as just the center of something. And I think through common usage, that's now accepted. But the more correct definition of epicenter is, in fact, to be above the center of something, right? So if you were like hovering, uh, if you were hovering above an explosion, let's say in a helicopter and looking at the aftermath, you'd be at the epicenter of the explosion. See what I'm saying? Um, I definitely digress there. They're doing this, though, with these different states with political, taking these political actions, uh, because in part you have a Republican administration and this is just about mobilization. I might have to do a little more Alinsky, uh, a little more Alinsky on this show, just to revive that. You see all this, all this organizing, you see this march for our lives. They've, they've really been branding these different political movements from the left for a while, but the tactics... And they have different names, but the tactics are all straight out of Alinsky. And the tactics are first and foremost concerned with the mobilization of the opposition, in this case, the left, the anti-Trump forces of this country. Just get them moving, get them organized, get them together, get them out there, get them loud. And then as it gets closer to the midterms, refine the message, lie where you have to to pick up Democrat seats. You know, double down on crazy progressivism where it'll get base turnout going for you. And that's the plan. So we're seeing the playbook here. But it just kind of, uh, it, it, I shouldn't even say frustrating. I mean, Vermont can do whatever it wants, but it's such a waste. Um, and it's in response to political pressure, not in response to stopping violence, uh, that they're raising the uh, the age limit and limiting high capacity magazines. By the way, I, I make you this prediction right now. It's just a matter of time before they try to raise the age limit even more. They'll say that you should be 25. Some state will come up with that. And then what you realize is that this is just slow motion, a slow motion ban. This is incremental, incremental uh, seizure of weapons and banning of the buying of new weapons. That's all it is. That's that's what it will become. In some states, in other states, like those of you listening in Texas are like, book, I'm not worried about it. And I know it's very different in Texas, but in places like Vermont, you're going to see more and more of this. Um, and we'll have to see if maybe the Republican Congress can get its act together and pass national concealed carry reciprocity. They can do it. You know, maybe we should start to abuse the interstate commerce clause a little bit to defend some constitutional rights. How about that? The left abuses the interstate commerce clause for everything it wants all the time. You know, you can't prohibit the transfer of, of uh, or you can't prohibit the transportation of concealed firearms across state lines because it interferes with the market in firearms in certain states. I don't know. You come up with whatever you want. People, the, the, the left justifications to abuse interstate commerce are endless. So maybe some Republicans actually pass something here. How about that? Wouldn't that be a great idea? Is coffee dangerous? I'm dangerous when I haven't had any coffee. But is coffee dangerous? I will answer that question.
He's back with you now because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. So there are some things that we can all agree to disagree on. This is not one of them. There are some areas of life where I can, I can brook some aggression. This is not one of them. There are some things that are sacred, my friends, when it comes to your daily routine. Coffee is one of them. I am a big-time coffee drinker. I love coffee. I don't know how I'd function without it. Maybe you could tell me that I have a caffeine addiction. I don't even care. I love coffee. California has decided to try and mess with our heads, or at least a judge in California who has ruled that Starbucks and other coffee companies have to post warnings that coffee may cause cancer. Now, there's a lot going on here. Okay, first of all, if you look back at media warnings about about cancer, everything causes cancer. And, by, and, and they particularly like to make it things that you and I like, right? If somebody sat there and they're like, oh, Buck, sweetbreads causes cancer, you'd be like, who eats sweetbreads, right? But if somebody tells you that bacon, for example, is a carcinogen, and people have said that, by the way, you'd be like, why do you have to be such a hater? What, what's, what is it about life that you uh, are, are, are so angry about that you want to tell me that bacon causes cancer? When we all know that bacon is amazing, and if there is such a thing as a superfood, bacon is in fact a superfood. But you go back and look at uh, a history of, of foods and, and just things in the environment that they say cause cancer, and they can't ever really tell. You know, they kind of think so. They don't really know. You know, do I think that smoking dramatically raises cancer rate risks? Yes, it does. But no one disputes that. With different kinds of food, it's always some tangential, you know, maybe we looked at a study, but I mean, come on coffee. If coffee caused cancer, all of us would be counting our days at this point before we had some terrible diagnosis. And this goes to show you where, where the nanny state inevitably heads. It did it in New York city where they were trying to ban sugary drinks. It's the same mentality. You see this propping up time and again. The same people who want to ban sugary drinks tend to be the same people who want to ban high-capacity magazines, who are the same people who won't let you use plastic bags in California or some other states now, even though paper bags are probably worse for the environment, who are now the same people who tell you that coffee causes cancer. Which I'm just telling you right now, I'm not a scientist, nor do I play one on radio. Coffee doesn't cause cancer. That's a lie. Or it's a, a falsehood. It's uh, wildly exaggerated. But the nanny state mentality is pervasive. It's not it, because it is a mindset. It's really a philosophy of everyday life. And you can make a, I think I do make a clear case on a daily basis, really, on this show that what is central to the Democrat philosophy of government is that the government is there to fix all things. And if the government can fix all things, then there's nothing that is outside the reach of the government. And once you concede that, then what you eat, whether you recycle, and you guys know how much I hate recycling. I hate recycling. But it's it's all coming from the same mentality, same thing. And now people are, are going to push back on this. You've had experts coming out to say that, no, 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 it's it's too much to claim that coffee causes cancer. 
But this is just a long line of scare tactics you see in an effort to, you know, one, increase the government's power to regulate and tell us what to do. And two, it just goes to show you that in a very liberal place where there's the the elevation, really a, a deification of science, deification of science that goes on, right? Science can give this, which also then ties into the whole Stephen Hawking thing. And why is he the greatest scientist of all time? Oh, because he gives us an explanation for life that does not involve God. That's the short version. Meanwhile, the scientist at the center of the Human Genome Project is a devout Christian, a whole conversation for another time. Uh, but that's why when you look at this, you see once again that science is something that the left adopts as a posture, but they abuse it for political reasons all the time. And they take positions that are just not even common sense. I mean, coffee causes cancer. What are they going to say next? Chocolate causes cancer. I'm sure that actually there are studies. If if I, you know what? I just, just for giggles right now, chocolate causes cancer. Let's see. Let's see what happens. I'm, I'm actually good. Um, let me see. No. Okay. Yep. Sorry, there's, there's, a, yep, articles pop up. Yep, lots of stuff. Chocolate causes good. So there you go. People write, people have said that too. Studies have said that too. Also a lie. What's next? Freedom causes cancer? I mean, really, this is getting complete. They did say that French fries at one point from the oil in them and the process. I mean, this is why when people say, why don't we just have experts and scientists deciding everything for us? No. Why don't we have the free exchange of ideas and let the market decide everything that is not explicitly laid out for the government to do in the Constitution? How about that? That's a much a much better way to go, I would think. Oh, man, but there's nothing that you... By the way, coffee also is, has antioxidant properties. It's not just because it gives me a boost of energy. It makes me a little chattier, which is obviously good for radios. Man, I used to... I remember I actually... Uh, one time before I filled in for Glenn Beck... Um, uh, I, I was sitting at his, Glenn had a gorgeous radio studio in New York. I mean, it was really, it was incredible. And it was like getting to ride in, in like your dad's Mercedes or something, you know, it was getting to, or, or your, your rich uncle's Maserati. And, and I sat down and I had a venti Starbucks coffee there. And this is before I knew about black rifle, obviously. And I knocked that thing all over. And I remember engineers swooping and like, no, because it was just the huge thing of coffee. If I'd gotten on the equipment, it might have shorted it out. It could have cost thousands of dollars of damages. But you know what? Didn't stop me from bringing coffee into the radio studio because I need it because it's delicious and it's amazing. So don't listen to the liars out there, folks. Coffee is good for you. We'll be back with Roll Call in just a minute. Stay with me. Well, I'm coming to you all from Indiana, my friends. I'm actually visiting our affiliate out here, WOWO, also known as WOWO. So I am in the great state of Indiana, and I am hanging out in the uh, wonderful city of Fort Wayne, which I must say, for a city of this size, has better than anticipated food options. They're, they're, they've got some foodies out here in Fort Wayne. I'm kind of excited about it, all kinds of... Uh, excellent restaurants that I plan on 
storming downtown Fort Wayne uh, to check out later on tonight. So that'll be a lot of fun. But yeah, first first time in Indiana. Very exciting stuff. And I'll be at uh, Talk Tank for those of you who are in the Fort Wayne area tomorrow. Uh, so I think I it, it might be sold out, but you know, just show up at the door and we'll figure something out. You know what I mean? So don't worry about it. Even if it's sold out, just show up and say you know me. <laughs> Gosh, I'm going to be causing problems now. I know Buck. <laughs> well, you do. If you listen to the show, you do know me. Darn it. And you know the secret password. You know, it's it's like knowing the guy at the door of the nightclub. Be like, I listen to Buck on radio. I want to hang out at Talk Tank tomorrow in Fort Wayne. Uh, so uh, do come by and check it out. Now, with that, uh, it is time for, gosh, this is the last time we're going to hang out for a couple of days because we're about to go into the weekend. Well, it's time for us to get into some roll call, though. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. All right, first up here, we have uh, Brian, who writes for our Roll Call. And by the way, if you want to be a part of Roll Call, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, and also official team Buck at gmail.com. That reminds me, Producer Mike, make sure uh, we, we bring the emails. And I, Facebook is so easy. Uh, so I, I tend to go with more of those, but I want to make sure we get to all of the emails that are piling up in the box, too. But it's Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to send me thoughts. I read everything that goes into that box, even the mean stuff. Why are people mean sometimes? The, the good news is that 99% of the folks who listen to the show, 99% of those uh, fellow patriots that I affectionately refer to as Team Buck are... Uh, highly intelligent, principled, ethical, wonderful people. But there's like 0.1% of angry lib that listens to the show. And occasionally they send me mean emails, which I'm okay with them when they're a little bit funny. When they're just mean and lots of capitalized curses, that's not cool. But when they're actually saying something like, I will never, for, I will never forget some of the, of the meaner emails that I've gotten that were entertaining anyway, but I don't want those. I want nice emails. <laughs> It's right? so don't now people who are actually my friends uh, within Team Buck are going to start being like, well, since you want it. No, no, no. Only nice emails, please. Or, or constructive criticism. Also welcome. We have Brian first up here. Buck, greetings from flyover country, Oklahoma. Well, Brian, I'm in Indiana, so I don't know which one is you know, which one wins the flyover battle. But I'm just saying. Thanks for all that you do. I love your show and don't miss a broadcast. Your sense of humor, pop culture references, knowledge, and disdain for everything Green Day slays me. You recently criticized yourself by saying that I didn't read the fine print or any print for that matter, and I could totally relate. Keep up the good fight and know there are others out there who are thankful for your voice in the world. Original Saturday Squad, OSS, and Shields High from Brian in Oklahoma. Thank you so much, Brian. A great note and a great way to start off our Friday roll call session here. Um, Next up, Daniel, who writes, Buck, gaslighting. Thank you for putting a word to something I've been experiencing. I've had arguments with people who openly say they want an assault weapon ban, would also like to ban semi-auto handguns, and support repealing the Second Amendment. But when I try to engage them in debate, the response I've gotten is literally... No one is coming for your guns. You're just being paranoid. Go hug your guns, you crazy gun nut. Super annoying. The last refuge of someone who can't make an intellectual counterargument from Daniel. 
O-S-S. Yeah, Daniel, if you let people get away with it, they'll keep moving the goalposts on the issue of gun control. So you've just got to pin them down if you want to even have the discussion. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, this is not going to be productive. Because what I'm telling you about the gun control debate is central. It is true that gun control is actually just a proxy battleground for the culture war. The gun control argument has very little to do with violence in terms of why people are uh, mobilized and why they hold the opinions that they do, which is why when you present them with facts that shoot down, pardon the phrase, uh, the opinions that they come up with, they become angry because they don't see it as, oh, you're disproving my gun control theory. Maybe we can come up with something else that would save lives. They see it as, well, I thought that by holding this position, I was one of the good people, and now you're telling me that that's not true. I was one of the smart people, and you're telling me that that's not true. That is why. Aries writes that uh, Laura Ingram pronounces her name Ingram. I know. I'll never get it wrong again. I got lit up by lots of messages for that one last uh, last night, uh, and there's that. Um, Patrick writes, Buck, I love that your show replaced... Uh, the previous host on my local radio. I've been a loyal listener since then, but there is one chink in your armor. We are approximately the same age. You've got a year on me, but your <laughs> your disdain for Springsteen is bothersome. Try listening to the album Nebraska start to finish. I think you would have a change of heart. If a song is good enough for Cash to cover, it's worth a listen. Patrick, I really support. I, I really appreciate your support of the show and support your support of the show. That's what I was about to say. So I figured, why not just lean into it and say it? Uh, I will never budge on Springsteen, my friend. I hope we can get past this. I hope we can still be friends. I will never budge on Springsteen. You know, the, the, first of all, the guy basically wears a costume all the time. No, no one wears a, a, a leather vest over a chambray shirt or whatever it is all the time. It's just ridiculous. But I don't even care about the costume. The music, ah. See, Brian, I mean, I'm sorry, that was previously. Patrick, we're still going to be friends, though. I will for you, Patrick, for you, because you wrote me a nice note. I will listen to the album Nebraska if it is on Spotify, which is how the cool kids listen to music now. So I'll, I'll make that concession, but I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on this one. But Shields High, and thank you for your note. Next up, we got an another Brian. Love your show. Been listening for about a year. I listened to it on the iHeartRadio app. We have a suggestion, since we do not have to listen to commercials on the app, could you list the sponsors that help support your radio show on your website uh, for that? That way we could help out your radio show. Well, thank you very much, Brian. I really do appreciate that. And that's a good idea. Uh, that is a good idea. I think that we should, uh, we should do that. So I'll talk to the folks here about it. Um, and there you go. Uh, and hopefully we can get that going again. Uh, now I'm just rambling, which is, I've got, I don't have enough time for the notes I already have here. We have another Brian. I swear. I'm not just picking out guys named Brian. It did seem for a little while, like I would only date girls named Catherine, but that's a whole other story. Uh, I, I went through a series of Catherines in my life. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but sometimes it just lines up that way. Brian writes, Buck, great show as always. I haven't seen any Roseanne episode ever, and I'm not sure I'm going to because her laugh makes me want to claw my face off. But you should give Last Man Standing a shot. It's a feel-good sitcom starring Tim Allen as an old-fashioned, hard-working, 
hunting father raising three daughters in today's progressive world. It's great because he rolls with everything and he never gives up his beliefs. It's a resurrection of the classic sitcoms where the star can also be a role model. I think you'd like it. Well, Brian, I got to tell you, that sounds awesome. And I think I would like it. So I will check it out. Um, and I absolutely uh, is. I'm hoping it's on Netflix or Hulu or something. And that would make it easy for me to give it a shot. Marcella. Next up, I completely agree with you regarding the new Roseanne show. I was actually a regular viewer of the original Roseanne show, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Roseanne was sharp, snarky, and anything but politically correct. There was no political agenda. The reboot is boring, not funny, and the actors, including Roseanne Barr, are being used as mere props to introduce social engineering into a show where that was previously never a part. Well, Marcella, I can't speak to the old show, but I'm glad you agree with me on the new show because that means we're both right. So high five for us. It's just not as good as it should be. Uh, I I am uh, disappointed, disappointed with the way the new show has uh, laid laid itself out. It's not been good. All right, my friends, uh, that's going to be it for this episode of The Buck Sexton Show. Please do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, The Buck Sexton Show. You know what it is. I uh, also want to say to all of you, because I won't get a chance before Monday, have a happy Easter. And of course, Shields High.